Uh, would you guys go ahead and do me a favor? Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. It's on page 647 in your blue Bibles. <clears throat> Tonight, we're going to continue our series on the one another's of the Bible. We're going to continue going through a lot of these commands uh, throughout the fall, all the way till Advent. We're going to talk about Tonight, bearing one another's burdens or carrying one another's burdens. And our passage is taken from the end of Paul's letter to the Galatian church. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 10 in chapter 6. So you can follow along on the screen, but you may want to have your Bibles open. Um, I'll reference maybe a few other texts in case you want to turn there as well that may not be on the screen. He writes this, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please from the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we start here with Paul's letter to the Galatians. And our reading, as I mentioned, and as you saw very clearly, is at the end of his letter. He ends his letter with this encouragement. He tells them he wants them to carry or to bear one another's burdens. And this letter is to a church in modern-day Turkey that's really a region, multiple cities around a certain region in modern-day Turkey. It wasn't just one city. But this church sort of existed because of Paul's evangelism. Paul had been there before. Paul knows them. And in fact, they started quite well. You can go through and read, and Paul mentions this a little bit. You can read the history of it. that They were doing quite well, and the church was growing in this whole region. But recently, and this is the cause for Paul writing this letter, recently the church had started to stumble a little bit. He had been hearing stories of people who had come from there saying that there was division in the church. They were no longer as unified as they once were. They were having some problems. Actually, you can see in, in Galatians 1, in verses 6 and 7, it says that people were troubling the church. People were giving them a hard time. And then in chapter 5, it says that they were breaking off into two different groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. There was division. And this, if you read through the New Testament, is actually a very common theme that the Apostle Paul addresses. You know, outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ's forgiveness, you might be able to argue that his number one importance was writing about unity in the church. He brought this up in almost all of his letters. And Paul is saying to the church, hey, listen, you need to be on one page. You need to be unified in the, in, in the spirit of Christ. 
You cannot break into different subgroups. You cannot break into to different little cliques and different, well, you are the Jews and so you're a little different than the Gentiles and you have this and we have this and you like this teacher, we like this teacher. No. He says, listen, church in Galatia, if you guys are going to do this, you need to carry one another's burdens. You need to be unified. You need to be on the same team. And in fact, he even says in, in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that there is, is just one gospel, and therefore we should be just one church. So with this context in mind, with this understanding in mind for what we have discussed also last week about hospitality and caring for one another, uh, we read our text. And he starts in verse 1, very interestingly. Before he gets to the carrying burdens, he says this, If any one of you is caught ensnared or in trouble, that those who are spiritual should gently restore them. Those who are spiritual. You know, another way of saying this, because spiritual sort of sounds like we're already creating division, right? You're ranking, oh, those who are spiritual and those who aren't. So what is he saying? He's saying that those who are living by the Spirit of God, Christians, if you see someone struggling, you need to go help them. You should do so gently. As I mentioned, this is not a special ranking or anything, but simply saying, if you live by the Spirit of God, and, and if you have curious or you're curious about what that means, um, go back and read chapter five. Chapter five is all about living by the Spirit. But but he says, if you if you are living by the Spirit, if you are a Christian, and you see someone struggling, you see someone caught in a sin, you see someone habitually doing the same things over and over again, struggling, that you should help them, that you should restore to them gently, with love, with kindness. Because when we are walking in the Spirit, we have the ability to give the gifts of the Spirit to other people. We have the ability to love them gently and caringly. But Paul also gives a warning, doesn't he? He says, but, but just a heads up, because <laughs> I know your nature I know you human beings, and I know what you're tempted to. I'm one of you. (laughs) He says, be careful. Be careful, otherwise, when you go to help them, you may also end up being tempted by the same thing. And and, and many of us know what this looks like. Right? We we never want to go into a situation and saying, well, I'm spiritual. I can go help this person. (laughs) Jesus loves me this much. I think I have all the answers. I'm just going to go tell them to read their Bible. Right? How often has that ever worked? You know, I remember, <laughs> this is one of my biggest criticisms as a teenager when I came to Christ. I would go to my small group leader and ask him these deep questions, and he would say, well, you should read your Bible more. <laughs> anyway, never mind, I'm not going to do that because this is confusing. Right? I remember being really confused about this. And even today, this is sort of a tricky thing for us. How, how do we do this? Well, Paul tells us, he says, listen, you want to help someone who's in sin? You want to come alongside someone who's struggling? Here's what you do. Carry their burdens. And so fulfill. And you, when you do that, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, some of you are familiar with the Gospels and, and a lot of Jesus' teachings. Some of you maybe haven't read them. Um, Jesus said that there's this whole book, and actually we just sang about it in one of these songs, The Law and the Prophets, that this whole book can be boiled down to two things. He says, love God and love people. And if we can love God and we can love our neighbor as ourselves, 
then we will fulfill this law of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is if we will carry one another's burdens, we are fulfilling this law. That we are indeed loving God by caring for his child, caring for his son or daughter who we're helping, and we're loving that person by giving of ourselves to help them with whatever burdens them. And when we do this, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. And it seems fairly simple, but then we have yet another warning. First of all, he says, be careful, because if you go to help someone in sin, you may also be tempted. But the the next warning he tells us in verse 3 is, be also careful, because if you think you're something when you're not, you're deceiving yourself. All of a sudden, Paul includes this warning for the church and their desire to seek unity because he knows what creates disunity. What creates disunity? What creates division? When one person walks into a room and thinks, oh, I'm spiritual. I have what these people need. I have the answer. I know everything. When we think, you know, Andrew Goodman this morning Um, a friend of ours was here visiting and and preached, and he talked about this idea of thinking ourselves more highly than others. When we begin to judge other people, we begin to immediately think that we have something they don't, that we are better than them, that we have some sort of great knowledge they don't have. And the Apostle Paul is warning the church to say, listen, if you get to a point where you think you have, you're missing it. We can create division. I don't know if you guys realize this. We can actually create division just by our thought life. You ever thought about that? (laughs) Just by thinking that we are greater than others, just by thinking that we are better than others, just by thinking that we have all the answers, we can already begin to create division in the church around us. We already go in with an attitude, with a preconceived notion that we have it. If we think of ourselves too highly, we in fact create the opposite effect. Instead of helping people, we are creating division. If we think of ourselves too highly, we then actually create these gulfs between groups of people. Because, according to the scriptures, if we think this way, we have absolutely nothing. The only thing we have, and the reason Paul says, if if someone is caught in a sin, go to them, is because we have the thing God has given us. We have the Spirit of God, and that same Spirit is the thing that gently restores people. It is not what we do, but it is what God does through us and through our willingness. I just talked with someone about this today. You know, we have these moments in life where we feel like we just don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We find ourselves in a situation and we think, how in the world can I do this? I still think this. I confess my own weakness, all right? I looked in the mirror this morning, and I saw these little gray hairs creeping in my beard and creeping over here, and I thought, I have no idea when I got this old, and I have no idea when I actually became a pastor and when people started thinking that I had the answers, (laughs) because I don't think I can. (laughs) What am I doing here? And I'm praying about it, and I'm thinking about this sermon, and I realize, no, 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 this is fine, (laughs) Because what I have is what God has done in me. What I have is what the Spirit has given me to give to all of you. And so those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are living by the Spirit, we can restore one another. We can help one another. We can carry each other's burdens because God has done it. 
And this is why our thought life is so powerful, because sin is so sneaky. Even when we desire to do good things and help people, even when we desire to go out of our way to serve others, our sin nature can still trick us into thinking that we have something, that it's us and not God. It can sneak into our desire to help and lead to pride that makes us think that we are better than others, and thereby creating division. And before we know it, we thought we were helping people. We thought we were doing all the right things. But because we were relying on ourselves and not the Spirit of God in us, we have created division. So what do we do? Paul says that each one of us, in verse 4, should test our own actions. Then we can take pride in ourselves without comparing to somebody else. So you see? All we can do is test ourselves. All we can do is ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Is this coming from my power and my wisdom or the power and the wisdom of God through me? It's amazing because we think of unity as how we treat one another, and it's true. But unity actually starts with your thought life. It begins in your brain. And I don't know about you, but this is a scary place for me. Weird stuff goes on in here. If you knew the stuff that went on in here, you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor. You probably wouldn't have your job if, they, if people at your work knew what was going on in your head. This is a scary place. But what we think is the things that come out of us. And if we think of ourselves as equals, if we think of ourselves as all needing the love of Jesus Christ, then we will find unity. And the things that will come out of our mouths and out of our hands will be that which creates unities and bonds of peace and not division. And so I challenge you, church, that unity actually starts with you and with your thought life. Do you think of yourself too highly? Do you think of yourself too highly when it comes to church and worship especially? One way I think about this is how we all uh, start going to church. And we all do this, right? We start going to church and we look for a church that fits us. You know, we look for a good relationship or, or a good worship team or, or, or the right time and all of these different things. And we think, you know, sometimes people will even say this um, about, about Bible teaching or about home groups or prayer. Like, what did you get from it, right? Well, what did you get from the sermon? What did you get from church? It's like this pervasive mentality of our culture that has entered into our brains that thinks the whole reason we do something is to get. And even in that, our thought life, even in going into church thinking I'm here to get, is already starting to create disunity in our head because we're just thinking we're here for me, not for the person next to me. Unity starts up here. And I would just challenge you, before we move on, Mid-sermon challenge. Are you trying to take or are you trying to give? In your brain, in your thought life, are you trying to take from this world or are you trying to give to this world? Because the Apostle Paul continues in verse 5 and says that each one of us is responsible for our own load. Which is sort of funny because if you read it at face value, you sort of think, wait, you're contradicting yourself. You just said carry each other's load, but now you're telling each of us are responsible for our own. 
He's not contradicting himself. What he's saying is this, is that if someone is trapped in sin, if someone is trapped in a spiritual issue, that we should gently restore them, but each one of us needs to understand our own role and needs to understand our own gifts. Think about the analogy Paul uses as the human body, right? That each one of us are one piece in the body and we all work together. The eye looks out for danger, right? The eye keeps us from running into tables, from running into walls, these sorts of things. But if the eye is infected and can no longer do its job, then the hand comes and helps. And if I can't see, then the hand keeps me from running into this table. It's a simple analogy Paul uses. But if you think about this passage, verse 2, he's talking about sin, and verse 5 is talking about doing your job. So if there is an infection, if there is someone who is struggling, if there is someone who cannot do their job, then you who are living by the Spirit should go and help that person to do their job with your gifts, whatever your gifts might be. Doing your part in the effort of Christ in his church and in this world, you should carry your own own load. It's about making choices. Will you do those things you have been given, those gifts you have been given, will you do them for you or for this world? You know, my parents talk about choices all the time. They work in recovery ministry, people, drug and alcohol addiction. And they, they give out these little bracelets. Uh, and I always wear one because it's a great reminder. And it just, it says, it's hard to see because it's all black, but it just says hula hoop. You guys know what the hula hoop is? You know, the, 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 the toy, the, the big circle, you, you swing around and it goes around. Uh, I'm the worst ever at them. But uh, they hand these out because when they talk to people, who are starting to comprehend these ideas. How do we make good choices in life? How do we live for other people? These sorts of things. What they tell them is, all you can control is your hula hoop. <laughs> right? you, can't, you, you can't do anything else for anyone else. I can't control what Hiram does and how Hiram acts, and I can't stop him from taking off his shoe and throwing it at me right now. I just can't, right? So I try, yeah, that's right, please don't. So I trust that he won't, and I just control what I'm doing right now, because that's all I can do. And when we do this as the church of God, in much bigger scales and much bigger things with spiritual gifts and everything, but when we, as it says in verse 1, are helping people in our, in our community with our gifts, and also, like it says in verse 5, carrying and doing the things we are called to do, this thing called unity starts. And people start to grow together and people start to do things that are communal, how we spend our time, how we worship. We begin to pursue God, not just individually, but then as a group. And then we're really able to bear one another's burdens to really help those people who have been trapped by sin. Because make no mistake, Paul says, verse 7, do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. And if you reap or if you sow from a sinful nature and desire to take from this world Paul tells us that leads to destruction. But if we sow to please the Spirit of God and to work together in unity, then we will reap eternal life. And this is nothing new. That's why I chose this verse, or the verses from Hosea in the Old Testament. Israel got into trouble time and time again in the Old Testament. I love that verse too in Hosea um, chapter 8, verse 7. It says they, reaped the, or they sowed the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. They tested God and they got what was coming to them. We will be held accountable, each one of us, for our actions. 
So whatever it is, whatever you are called to, whatever you feel like God is calling to in the church to help and to unify, you are accountable to that. And that's what he means in verse five by carrying your own load. And, and so we see in verse nine and 10, let us then not become weary in doing these things. Let's not get sick of doing good things for one another. Because at the proper time, we church will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to you and I in this church, in all churches, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, what are we going after? It starts with our thought life, but it plays itself out in our actions, in our speech, in our words, how we carry ourselves. Are we bearing one another's burdens? Are we going after unity or are we going after division and disunity and destruction? There's a reason Paul says this. There's a reason I want to share with you as we wrap up tonight why we know we can do this. Jesus Christ, whom we worship as the Son of God, was what I would call the ultimate burden bearer. Jesus Christ decided that if any one of us came before our God with our resume, we would be found woefully inadequate. And so what Jesus did, God sends Jesus, his son, and Jesus goes before his God, the only one who was adequate, the only one who was worthy. And after living a perfect life, dying on our behalf, was seen as righteous in the eyes of God, raised to the right hand of God, where he sits now ruling this earth and says to you, if you believe me, if you believe in me, I will therefore go to my father and tell him that this is your son, this is your daughter, whom I, who we love, who is righteous. And we also have to understand that this is not, and I talk about this all the time, but we have to also understand that this whole forgiveness thing that we talk about as Christians is not just at the end of life, but it's here and now. It is freedom now. That we can turn from the path that leads, from, leads to destruction, this whole reaping and sowing thing where he talks about in verse 8, we can turn from that and head to the path that leads to eternal life now. And you can join in with this unity of the body of Christ and begin to carry one another's burdens and begin to share this load that we all have. You see, Jesus came to give freedom so that we might help others find freedom. You know, last week I talked about hospitality and how the Bible says we should care for people, feed the sick clothe the naked, visit the sick, or visit the people in prison. Compared to this, that's so easy. It's easy to buy a shirt for someone who doesn't have a shirt. It's easy to buy a meal for someone who's hungry. It's really hard to be vulnerable enough with one another to where we share our spiritual needs. It's really difficult to be so honest with someone to say, this is my sin, can you help me with it? Yet this is what God requires. He does not want you to present yourself as perfect. Christ has not asked you to pretend you have no sin. Christ has in fact told you, no, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
so that we might be able to be vulnerable with one another and say, oh, you're a sinner too? Yeah, me too. You need Jesus too? Oh, me too. Let's help each other. Do we actually, church, and this is why the one another is so important, do we actually share our life with one another so deeply that we're willing to share our spiritual needs with our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's really difficult. Do we trust people in our small groups? Do we trust people who are friends? Do we have what I would call soul friends? Spiritual friends that we can go to and say, hey, um, this is really tough for me, but I need someone to pray for me because blank. I've never told anyone this before, but you know what? I really need prayer because I am trapped and caught in this sin and I want to be free. Are we willing to actually live life together, church? Because it's really hard and it's really vulnerable. It's really easy to live the good parts, right? Our Instagram world is really, really easy to share the good parts of life with people. I'll send them around the world. I don't care who knows it, right? I'll go hiking and be on top of a mountaintop, throw up a hashtag, and people around the world will be able to see how great my life is. Are you willing to share your life with brothers and sisters in Christ and share with them the crap that's going on that makes you feel trapped in sin so that you might find the freedom Christ offers? So let's simplify this into one question tonight. Are you willing to live life together? Are you willing to share not just the good parts of your life, but the messy, hard, and embarrassing parts of your life? Because Christ has given us this freedom. Christ has given us the freedom to be open and honest. Why do we not take it? Christ has said, I will bear all of your burdens so that they are no longer your burdens. And the person sitting next to you who you would be embarrassed to tell your secrets to, he's done the same thing for them. Right? You're both in the same shoes, in the same boat, and you're both sort of ignoring like it's not happening. Christ wants us to be open, to be honest, to share these things with one another. So whatever is keeping you, maybe it's thinking yourself more highly than you want, like in verse 3. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you've just never been brave enough to ask someone to pray for you. I don't know what it is, but I want to challenge you tonight in sight of the table of Christ, which we're going to go to here in a minute. I want to challenge you to think about verse 10. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people. This means giving of yourself. Being in life together means giving of you for the sake of the person next to you. Praying for one another. Helping carry their load. Laying your life down for them if it so calls to it. And the reason, church, you can do this, the reason you have nothing to fear when it comes to carrying someone else's burden is because Christ has already done it. Christ already took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, Christ took a cup and he poured it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The Apostle Paul wrote that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming Christ with our very lives. 
And so if we come forward as Christians and partake of this table and what it means, what we're saying is, is we are willing to do the hard things. We are willing to do the hard things because Christ already did the hard things for us. And so we will go joyfully to bear one another's burdens, whatever that may look like. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. You are the ultimate burden bearer and you have made our load so light. And yet, God, we still live in a world of darkness and a world of struggle. And so when we struggle against sin, when we feel trapped, when we feel like there's no way out, Father, remind us of the truth of Scripture. Lord, we trust in you to bring us freedom. Would you surround us with sisters and brothers in Christ who lift us up, who do not judge, but give us love the way you have loved them. Father, let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but let us lay down our lives for one another. That we would find unity and peace. And above all, God, we would find love, love for you and love for one another. Lord, you are good. And we thank you for all you are doing. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.